0: Hey, this is Rob, and that's Micaiah, and you are listening to You Forgot One. Today on You Forgot One, Elvis Costello's best album. I say this year's model, Micaiah says armed forces, Let's keep it to Armed Forces. What do our guests need to know about Armed Forces?
1: Sure. It's the third album by Elvis Costello, the second with The Attractions, and the third with producer Nick Lowe. Um, It it has a kind of a complicated history. If you're a record collector, we talked about this with The Beatles because there's the U.S. version and the U.K. version. And I'm I'm assuming most of our listeners are in America like us, and you and I both have uh, original copies of the American version of... Uh, armed forces which means we don't have the song sunday best but we do have the the big hit uh what's so funny about peace love and understanding what is which is actually missing on the uk version um and also they have two different album covers um so you when you and i were talking like when we we're going into this episode like okay so which version are we talking about tonight so for our listeners if you're gonna go buy the cd or if you're gonna stream it on Spotify. Um, the new kind of definitive track list has everything that appears on the U S and the UK. Okay. So that's the, the composite composite that is now kind of the definitive version. And so for me, armed forces is, is my favorite Elvis Costello album. It has, um, what I love about Elvis Costello, which, you know, his witty, sometimes funny, but also very harsh lyrics, but just great, great melodies. I love his melodies. Um, And also his band, The Attractions, were so great on this year's model, but much tighter for me on armed forces. And that just gives it the edge uh, for me versus something that is um, perhaps the most iconic, which is uh,
0: this year's model. So, Rob, what
1: should our listeners know about this year's model?
0: So this year's model is Elvis Costello's second album. Um, it is his first album with the Attractions as his band. F- really, for his first album coming out of the gate, My Aim is True, he had a great album right, right off the start. I mean, he, Rolling he did, Stone
1: called it the album of 1977.
0: Yeah, I mean, a great, a great album that comes out as his very first. But even as good as My Aim is True is, there is such a huge leap from My Aim is True to this year's model because of this band, because of the Attractions. And we will often think of Elvis Costello, especially during this, his most kind of important season of his career, this kind of 77 to to 81, 83, depending on how you look at it, run of albums. And and really, we think of it as kind of the defining new wave genre, the, the defining kind of new wave style that Elvis Costello becomes so famous for. But I hear so much post-punk there's still so much punk energy and there is um there's such a a ferociousness to this band i mean the attractions come right out of the gate this is overwhelmingly the most energetic of elvis costello's albums it is arguably his angriest um there is just so much energy that has there is there's so much punk energy and for me um, I was turned on to this album right around the time that I got into punk music when I was 15, 16 years old. And this album is just so, so good. It fits right in that tight spot for me, that sweet spot for me. And so that, that's what I, I love about this album. Uh, again, it's another album produced with, with Nick Lowe at the helm. So, of course, this is also a different album if you have the U.S. version as opposed to the U.K. version. The U.K. version has the songs I Don't Want to Go to Chelsea and Night Rally as the closing song of the album. Both of those songs are left off of the U.S. version and replaced with Radio Radio, which is the album closer on the U.S. version. So, so yeah, so that that's this year's model. Um, this year's model has historically been on nearly every list where you're going to find an Elvis Costello album. Uh, this year's model has typically been ranked his highest-ranked album. Do you want me to um, get into
1: those? I have those.
0: Yeah, go ahead. This year's
1: model is historically ranked the highest, right? So on the original Rolling Stone list, it was 98. And on the original Rolling Stone list, Armed Forces was four seventy five. So on the updated Rolling Stone list, this year's model is one twenty one. So not that big of a fall, but outside of the top one hundred, and Arm Forces, uh, like Imperial Bedroom, was kicked off of the list. Yeah, uh, which for you know at least one big reason, maybe understandably so, which we'll get into in the episode. But the enemy. Um, has, um, uh, from their 2013 list, have a lot of Elvis Costello albums. But this year's model is still number one at 256. Mm-hmm. And despite also having My Aim is True and Imperial Bedroom, but also Punch the Clock and Blood and Chocolate, they also do not include Armed Forces. So Armed Forces is um, kind of our underdog uh, that we can kind of have to fight for again since it was booted off the list and never made enemies. So...
0: One of the media outlets that does rank armed forces higher and recognizes the greatness of this album is Stereogum, And the writers of that list are going to be our guests today. So we're going to take a break. You're going to hear from today's independent record store of the week. We're going to hear from our sponsor. And then, Micaiah, who are we going to hear from when we come back?
1: When we come back, we're going to have from the paranoid style Elizabeth Nelson, and Timothy Bracey.
0: Hey, this is Rob, and I'm so excited to tell you about this week's independent record store of the week, North Carolina's own Hunky Dory Records. Hunky Dory Records has two locations, in Raleigh at 111 Seaboard Avenue, Suite 116, and in Durham, 718 9th Street. They're open seven days a week, and Hunky Dory is an incredible location to shop for your favorite record while enjoying a fresh draft beer from their bar upstairs. Hunky Dory is the local spot to pick up the record that you're looking for. And so we would encourage you to find your favorite Elvis Costello at either one of Hunky Dory's locations. Or you can order online from them at hunkydorydurham.com. That's H-U-N-K-Y-D-O-R-Y-Durham.com.
2: First, put the list out the first time. um, Like the comments on Stereo Gum ranged from you know, like top five is great, um, but like I disagree with you know a couple other things. To just like I didn't even bother reading the record when I saw what you had at number one. And then my (laughs) personal favorite was somebody who um, just had one one sentence. North at seventeen? Question mark, and did not say whether they felt that that was too high or too low. But that is what has always stuck with me because I've wondered what is going on in that gentleman's imagination that uh, he was so mad about North at seventeen.
3: The other, like uh, the other perennial, like you know, and like it, like the English phrase we never thought we'd hear as regularly as we do was like "Mighty Like a Rose" is my favorite album. How could you say that about Mighty Like? Car- it's like you insulted their child, and it's like, well, it's not. You know, it's just not. You know, something has to be at the end. Right. Uh, you know, so it's a.
2: And when we republished it, the comments began anew.
3: The beauty, of
0: course, is anytime you do a list of of great music, you are more likely to hear from people who disagree with your list yes. Then you're ever going to hear from someone who's like, you guys nailed it right out of the park, right. way to go. I mean, perfect top to bottom. Um, you, you're just not going to hear from those people because music is such a hyper-personal thing no. to all of us. And, and so kind of to that end, how did you both, who are, who are fellow Elvis Costello fans, how did you both get into Elvis Costello?
2: I The first time I actually became aware of Elvis Costello um was when spike came out um because the record store in my hometown had a big window display and it's such a visually arresting image that he chose for that cover um and i don't even think his name is on it so i didn't even know it was elvis costello but um like so like i was like 11 or 12 years old when it came out um and so i just remember that display and thinking what a crazy image that was but The music could have sounded like Weird Al Yankovic for all I knew. Like I was still too young to, like, actually um, have any interest in purchasing that particular record. But I I still remember that. But I think the first time that I really was, like, introduced to his music um, was a couple years later. And there was some, like, a couple of intersecting points um, in my education about him. Um, So this was like mid 90s when I was in high school and so he was still very much a part of the cultural conversation 120 minutes would play his videos and so like cool older kids like were using what's so funny about peace love and understanding for their senior quote or whatever so like he was like still popular you know I mean obviously he's still putting out records and everything um but I think like The reason why I went to the record store and bought an Elvis Costello record was because this was also the time when third wave ska Was having like its moment. So I went and um, got the special's first record, which was produced by Costello. And so all of these kind of like data points were hitting me, like kids at school quoting him, wearing t-shirts. And then like he had made this record that I really liked. So then I went to the record store and I purchased Get Happy uh, because it was there and it had so many tracks on it. And I picked up the Juliet letters because I did think that I would like that because I did like classical music, but I also thought that my parents would approve. Uh, what about you?
3: I, you know, uh, I, I, I'm a couple years older than, than Elizabeth. I grew up in suburban Washington, DC in Northern Virginia. And I had a brother who is five and a half years older and he, um, you know, really, so he introduced me to a lot of music that I probably wouldn't have any cognizance of or any interest in, when I was pretty young, you know, and so, you know, Clash and, you know, First Wave, UK Punk, and, you know, The Cooler Edges of Classic Rock, and um, but, so there was always kind of detritus around that. What I recollect is that there was a a Betamax tape and it was uh, just a a very low rent compilation of his early videos. And it was a, like, I think a video analog to the very best of Elvis Costello. And it was like these very intriguing videos that were clearly like done on a very low rent soundstage. And then sort of cut interstitually with, you know, you know, nightmare newsreels of, you know, what, and then he would dance around and do his thing where he kind of, you know, like does uh, a demented duck walk while he plays guitar and this was very much a part of his early image was like you know and i just thought and i remember i like i liked the songs but i just remember thinking well, what the fuck is this you know i mean i just I had no frame of reference even like you know like a clash or that there's nothing like, i did not understand the video for pump it up in that and and that's when it kind of like dawned on me like oh he's like he's like dylan you know he's or you know he's what a major figure he was and is and um and i really just kind of like spent like three years just like you know in a you know just like a deep deep hole with those extended reissues and um came out the other side and haven't quite been the same
0: How, how did you even approach this task of going right let's do it best to best to worst greatest to 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 least great how how did you approach that
3: well i you know i you know so the 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 best to worst gimmick is you know is the editorial hook that they come to you with and i understand why and it's a you know uh but right away and you know you say okay well we'll we'll take this on and that'll be fine and then right away you realize that well that was a mistake because you know we're like you guys we're two minutes into the project and you're like, you said what about Imperial Bedroom? And like, you know, and, like, you know, and, and so this is, you know, and, and, you know, we're married and, you know, we argue enough about Elvis Costello without inside interlopers.
2: Yeah. And I mean, you know, it's, it's without like giving too much away, you can kind of tell what the top five might be and what the, bottom five are probably going to be but then there's this wide expanse in the middle I was only certain of north at 17 yeah that was that was when I went into this I said north 17 or I'm not doing it um (laughs) but you know like there is kind of this this like you know really really murky kind of you know for Costello I think we were at what 28 at the last count so it's you know it's like it's a good you know 18 records that are good to great and you know like picking it like one at 13 over 14 or whatever becomes um a little bit of a of a you know confusing exercise in the absence of science um so um you know like but when you know so like accepting like those 18 records because they're all good and you could you could swap out you know 12 and 13, and probably still have a pretty satisfying list. When you really think about what people are passionate about, what critics are passionate about, it's really that top five and the bottom five. So what is the ultimate best and what is the ultimate worst? And so there, you know, there is, you know, a way of kind of taking critical consensus into consideration, which is important because, you know, just because you love all this useless beauty and you might put that in your top five, is that really, you know, like somebody would probably come at you and be like why are you insane they do it anyway but you know like it's like (laughs) that like critically is not as highly ranked as some of the other ones and so something that we do because we don't want to rely too much on what other people think although it's it's always helpful to have that you know um consensus behind you but we do like to look at like how has this album aged so you know like you know we're you know, decades out of armed forces or this year's model or get happy. And are they still good? Do they hold up decades later? You know, it's the, you know, the personal and the political that he's talking about still relevant. Um, What's the production like, how does that hang together? Um, And so, you know, we were just talking about this earlier today, like, we don't have that same experience of hay clock. Yes.
3: That's particularly diabolical, you know, as an exercise because one of the criteria, and I think, you know, you know, arguably one of the most persuasive criteria of a great record is what does it look like in the fullness of of hindsight? And it's like, I, I don't know how Hey Clockface is, you know, going to sound. I mean, it, you know, if somebody were to walk in, you know, like we had a Hey Clockface down really low and I, and I, I, I God bless them. I, I do find it hard to listen to. And I like some of the other newer ones better, but um, you know, but if somebody were to walk into a room and be like, guess what? you know, 15 years from now, that's going to look like his most visionary record. I'd be like, okay, I'm not Elvis Costello. Why don't yeah, you know, He's the genius. So, you know, the yeah, I mean, rankings, ranking stuff is like, it's surprisingly challenging. Even though we understand that this is, you know, just for fun and not for wagering purposes, and there's nothing really gained or lost here, it's still personal to people. It still means something. So you you want to, and that way, what I could say is ultimately, and we did go back and forth on some of the records, and ultimately, but it's a, a sincere effort to honor the work within the constraints of what is a fundamentally flawed approach. So,
0: I want to ask a question that that you alluded to there. There is a tendency. And we're finding in ourselves that that it's one of the things that we are wrestling with the tension of. There is a tendency to place a greater value on albums that have kind of historically been in the canon, Mm -hmm. you know, albums that have historically, you know, been, been highly appraised or, Hey, this is one of the greatest, or, you know, here, you know, this magazine or this media outlet, put it here. And so what ends up happening is it almost becomes this kind of, never ending feedback loop of well then then that album must be great and you almost wonder am am i really hearing what's great in this album or am i hearing everyone talk about what's great ab- about this album now obviously for you 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 guys are doing it putting this together for a media outlet in 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 for consumption so it's, it it may not be as personal by design but as you were putting that list together how did you live with that tension of are we erring too far on the side of just previously accepted canon or are we making some kind of personal choices here that hey we you know even if it's not popular we think this is a great album
2: yeah i mean this comes up a lot you know um not necessarily with the costello list um but we have had you know, feedback come from people on other lists that we've done. Um, we did a Van Morrison list um, where we ranked Viden Fleece as number one. And a lot of people disagreed with that because there's you know, general consensus that um, Astral Weeks is probably his best record. Um, and so there is the opportunity to kind of throw in you know a perceived um, or actual curveball you don't intentionally do that you're not like I'm just gonna um, mess with the readership and it, especially because people are so passionate about which one is number one so you, you don't really do that um, but it is it is a it, there is a tension that exists and I think you're right to identify it and and especially when like, um, if I can just divert for a second, I was on um, another podcast recently that was talking about um, the Beatles versus the Stones, and they were doing a sort of year-by-year thing where you were comparing what Beatles records came out versus what Stones records came out, and I got *Sergeant Pepper's versus Their Satanic Maj- Majesty's Request and Between the Buttons, um, and I guess Magical Mystery Tour was also thrown in there, and it was sort of interesting to go back and think about Sergeant Peppers in this context of comparing it to their satanic majesty's request. You've got these two sort of psychedelic entries. One is basically considered a masterpiece, more or less unimpeachable, usually number one at all of people's lists. And then there's this, like, kind of mailed in cash grab from the stones. But- if you listen to both of these records sort of, you know, hand in hand, like they're actually kind of mirror images of each other where, and again, you know, I know you guys did a Beatles episode and, you know, made a decision about Sergeant Pepper's versus revolver, but, um, you know, Sgt. Pepper's has got a lot of filler on it that's not very good. And their Satanic Majesty's request actually has, like, four really good songs on it. Yeah. So, like, comparing these two things, and it's like, one is, like, everybody's like, no, that's the best record. Yeah. Like, like, the hyperbole balloon on that is so filled yeah. that, that, you know, Sgt. Pepper's cannot be denied. And I'm not totally disagreeing, but, I mean, it's not my favorite Beatles record. And also, when you kind of go back and listen to it, you're like, ah, I don't know. Like, you know, is this really the best rock and roll album, maybe the best album ever made, it's really good. And it's certainly innovative. And I, I mean, as I say, like, I'm not going to win any fans by by going l- at length about this. But uh, there, you know, we, we do if have you didn't, if you,
0: if you didn't like North at 17, just <laughs> wait until you hear her diss Sgt. Pepper. Yeah,
1: she'll Sgt. <laughs> Pepper at 13.
3: Oh, this again. Okay. I think it also speaks to something, you know, that I think is really interesting about when you are an artist uh, that, you know, has become canon, that's another level of complexity to break through that. It's like, whether, I think, there are a few examples I think of off the top of my head of career artists who were sort of demigods, you know, Lou Reed's New York, you know, which came out in 1989, was a record where it's like, oh, okay, you know, this is like, a different thing than all of the really good records that are not as good as The Velvet Underground that he's been putting out, or Transformer, for years. Another is Dylan's Love and Theft, you know, in 2001, where it's like, okay, fuck. You know, we've been kind of, you know, it's been diminishing returns, as great as it always is, but now maybe we're back. And I'm not sure Costello has exactly been able to achieve this. It's just hard to break through that noise of like, the first seven or eight years of your career were so incredible and so world historic, and so DNA altering, and then it's like, what are you going to do now? Mm -hmm. You know, more good songs?
2: And if I can just quickly supplement what he's saying, too, about, like, like the point of these lists, other than emphasizing the sheer pointlessness of doing this at all, is uh, (laughs) to, you know, maybe give, like, a full sweep of an artist's career and maybe get people interested in records that they haven't heard or even get them interested in the artist at all. If you want to just go straight quantitative on sales alone and do your best to worst from that, that's going to be a really boring list. And so like, and yeah, you know, we don't want to, you know, like give away everything, but I think something that else that we do is there's like little qualitative things that we think about, like, and especially with somebody like Costello who has, you know, so much curiosity about different genres and he does all these genre experiments. It's like, you know, you can kind of like parcel out different points of his career, you know, like if you could do like a, just a straight up like Soviet approach of like five year periods and then like pick the best and worst and sort of mix them around there. But, you know, it's like, which of Elvis's weird genre experiments is the best record, which is the most effective. And like, so, you know, if you want to just apply hard science to it and be like, well, that one was a critical flop and, you know, didn't sell well, fine, fair enough. But is it, you know, an interesting record and yet another example of his genius and, you know, great songwriting and maybe you skipped it because it wasn't on the Billboard chart and now here's like, you know, a couple songs that you might check out. Like, I I do think that we, we do apply some Qualitative distinctions um, to the list making, um, so that it isn't just like a chronology, you know, going from beginning to end. And so um, that's just a that's just another uh, piece of the puzzle.
0: Let, let's let's start with the the two albums that are your one and two, and which which are the two albums that essentially we are, we are kind of debating between. Mm-hmm. And we have, as as we have approached the recording of this episode, I, I think we have found similarity in our lists of going. We both see Trust as a, as, a, as a as a as a great album that maybe among those first six albums that, that come out that are so good. Trust is maybe the one that kind of gets left behind. Like Get Happy has has all the really short, like two-minute pop songs done done so well. Um, you know, M- Mime is true, of course, has, you know, the kind of those first uh, you know, big, big songs that that come right out of the gate. Um, they're they're great hits on uh great great hits on this year's model, um, at least the American version of Armed Forces ends with What's So Funny About Peace, Love and Understanding, his cover of the Nick Lowe song, which becomes, you know, e- even though Oliver's Army becomes his biggest UK single. What's So Funny About Peace, Love and Understanding in the U.S. becomes that, that kind of big launching hit out of, out of Armed Forces. And of all these albums, Trust kind of becomes the, the, the one that's easily forgotten about. And, and I think for both of us is, is, a, is a great album as well. So let's let's start chronologically not not an order of, of what we think is best but let's just start chronologically for the, for the two of you as you're putting this list together what what are the arguments what is what's the case to be made for the greatness of this year's model in your mind I don't want to kiss you I don't want to I don't want to see
4: because I don't miss you that much not a telephone
3: Well, I mean, for me, you know, it begins with the band. You know, they did the first record with Clovers, the backing band, and and that's very sympathetic and it sounds good. Miami's True is a wonderful, wonderful record. But then he looks around and he sees his peers and he sees The Clash and he sees The Damned and he sees Graham Parker and The Rumor and he says, oh, shit, I need a bunch of fucking guys here. And he goes and he gets them. And Pete Thomas and Bruce Thomas and Steve Neve, you know, from – you know, no action, you know, five seconds in, okay, now I'm in for a different kind of ride. Uh, and it's one of the great bands. I mean, it's one of the great bands ever assembled and that will be They're versatile. Uh, they're musical, but most and they're ferocious and he needs that. You know, he's, that's what he wants. He knows what he wants and he knows where to find it. And so that's the first thing, you know, to me is, is the upgrade in band. Um, you know, songs are incredible uh but the songs are incredibly mean yeah yeah you know, and this is something that elizabeth and i talked about is you know you know for her um and she obviously loves the record but you know there's a toxicity and a toxic masculinity to this year's model that it was always and always has been a part of his you know uh dna uh less so obviously his is he's mellowed but um you know, that is verges on the disturbing. And I think that's kind of why, and I'll turn it over to you, but kind of why you prefer in in some ways, quite prefer armed forces.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that's pretty much the big distinction for me is that he, he'll tell you, uh, repeatedly that he's not a misogynist, and I'm inclined to believe him, but if you read, his, if set you set read his memoir, uh, <laughs> it comes up a lot how much he, he feels that he's been painted incorrectly with this particular brush, but if you use this year's model as an example of that, um, his case really falls apart really quickly, because those songs are mean, and he is angry, and he is mostly completely angry at women. Um, and. It's sort of interesting, and I love the songs, by the way, and I love the record, but it's still, it's it's a little disorienting to um, sort of experience it as a woman um, and try and figure out, like, what is to like about this person. Um, But we were just, like, talking about how even on, like, the U.S. release, they left off Night Rally um, from the original version, if I'm understanding Wikipedia correctly, which, by Mm -hmm. the way, is the best source to get anything. Um, So, you know... That's like one of his his greatest songs. And that one really is kind of where he telescopes away from the personal into the political. And it's this warning signal about, you know, like what's going to happen on this country that's about to be on fire. And so that it even got left off is sort of funny to me, just as like a little side note. But I think, yeah, the reason why this year's model is not my number one record is just because it's so, so toxic.
0: Wow. Yeah. So it's interesting to hear you say that, uh, because it, the thing that I think attracted me originally to this year's model, I I don't know that I ever would have said it that way. But again, I I bought this record at sixteen at fifteen, nineteen ninety six.
5: Right.
0: So I I bought this record at fifteen, and you know I I imagine like you know, trying to imagine what Declan McManus, you know, an Irish kid growing up in Liverpool and what his upbringing must have been like in, in late sixties, early seventies, uh, Merseyside, like there, there is an extent to which I go, okay. So, so, so he also knew what it was like to, to, to not be popular and to be a a teenage boy try to figure out and, and try to figure out, you know, girls and life and all of that stuff. and, And so it is interesting all, all of the ways in which it it is, it's, it, it is so many of the things that we associate with kind of toxic masculinity and so many of that, of, of those, of those instincts. And yet I think because that's when I encountered that record, it felt so at home, like it, it, it felt like such a connection point. And then to the point about the band, about finally having the attractions, finally having this group, there is an energy yeah, sure. there is there is a a ferocity to the the music on on this year's model which which again discovered at 15 16 years old feels like the most punk of his post-punk kind of early new wave albums and so it's got all of that energy all of that anger and so i think for me because of when i discovered that album that's the thing that all connects to me so it's you know uh, you know look pump it up great song no action great song um i think the way that the rhythm section in this band just shows off on the beat and little triggers in living in paradise like they they're just i mean the the bass and drum are so good on so many of these songs but yeah that when i think about what i love about this year's model it is this energy and this kind of ferocious anger to it I've never thought about what it would be like to hear that song, to hear that album for the first time today, or to hear that album as a woman.
3: For sure. And and when we were doing the list, I mean, we would have this conversation. We would put on the records and we're familiar with all the records, but you're revisiting them with fresh eyes because you're trying to, you know, create something quasi legitimate as a, you know, you know, mini canon. And 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 we would, we would put on that record and 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 you expressed express to me, you know, it's like, you know, because he was a young man and there was this tradition of rock and roll where, you know, it was a lot of you know, you know, the stones and, you know, and stupid girl and, you know, a lot of just kind of knee jerk misogyny. And, um, and that's okay. But, you know, I mean, I just remember feeling like you saying to me, like, this is the, you know, like he's better than this, mm-hmm. you know, like he, he's a brilliant songwriter. He's a, he's an incredibly clever guy, you know, but, you know, and it's funny when he says, you know, you want her broken with her mouth wide open, but he's fucking better than that. He 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 has a bigger, more compelling, more empathic part of him, and that's what I'm missing here mm. uh, amongst all the great tunes. You know, yeah. and so I mean, I do remember finding, and I found that to, be, I was like, really, you know, and then I thought about it, and it was like, that makes sense.
1: Yeah, I think for other artists after him, they become maybe more aware of that and it becomes like an ironic false bravado
5: yeah and you know, like i think
1: i think weezer will sometimes kind of do something similar but yeah. like there's such dweebs that like it, it's comical and you can't buy it yeah you know, like even like matt beringer from like the national mm-hmm. will yeah. kind of have these kind of like this kind of false bravado about him too that works but it's not really there yet for elvis in this year's model but one of my other big kind of complaints on About the album, no, it's not a complaint, but it's it's a concern when it comes to making these lists because I mean, this is the one that's this is the highest ranked Elvis Costello album on like both iterations or all three of the Rolling Stone 500,
3: Mm -hmm. Enemies
1: 500, and I think there is just kind of like, oh well, it's it's the first one with the attractions,
3: right? Uh For sure, And
1: and um and not for nothing, it has the best, probably the best Elvis Costello cover. He's not always great with great album covers, really? so I think I think there's something about seeing like that cover where you're like, oh, that's a cool cover, yeah. And the attractions are a cool new addition, and no action is like a great start to an album,
5: mm-hmm.
1: probably his best start to an album, even though it is just about not getting laid. But <laughs> like, it's li- I mean, it's literally just like that. Over, like I'm not getting action, and it's just like, well, look at you, dude. You got like these big glasses on, like. <laughs> What's the Dave, It was David Lee Roth, right? He says, Rock critics all love Elvis Costello because they all look like Elvis Costello. <laughs> uh, you know, so like, you know, so people like, you know, dweebs like Rob and I are just like, hey man, I get it. I feel you. Yeah. And honestly, like, I'm not a telephone junkie. Probably holds up more now. Be like, yeah, man, I'm on my phone all the time. I don't want to be on my phone. Like, now it's a little bit more. Yeah, of, sure. yeah, Yeah, You know, so, so maybe that bit actually holds up a little bit more. But... Yeah, so I think there's just like a there's so many firsts to it. Yeah, that people are just kind of like, oh, now that's the one because that's like the first. And I, I don't know that that's like the best kind of way to hold an album up is like, oh, but it's like the first one to do this kind of thing, or it's the first of his to do this kind of thing. And I kind of want to try to steer away from that. I, I do like that it, at the very least it is a unique sound
0: to that album. There is a consistency, and and, and maybe with the and I'm not crazy about you belong to me. But other than that, the first five tracks on side A of this year's model, I mean it just it feels like it, it feels like this whole album is coming out of the gate. But it does it, it does feel like side two it is is less consistent. But than, he does that though than the side he, A.
1: He he front loads his albums, I think, throughout his entire career. Mm-hmm. I think you can kind of look at be like, okay, he really like like spike is that way too yeah. like i was listening i was re-listening to spike and i was like man side one is just like kill like veronica and god's comic i was like man yeah. this is is this my favorite like this is great <laughs> and then side 2 i'm like wow i didn't realize i just listened to all of that
3: you i know, love spike. like side
1: one just always grabbing me
3: i love spike and she wrote a little uh, piece about spike uh that was very uh edifying uh in lawyers getting some money but you know i mean he could have cut at least four songs from that But his his, his, his little anecdote about Spike is he was so excited. They were on a new label. They wanted to really promote him. He had been frustrated with his previous record contract. He felt like his career was stalling out. And so he very excitedly went to a board meeting with T-Bone Burnett, who produced, and said... You know, and proposed five different albums that we could make for you with five different approaches, and they said they liked them. He said, and he said they liked them all, so we made we just made them all on the same record. And you know, I mean, that sort of spike, You know, it's like, oh, I mean, now we're in the doing the Creole thing. You know, it's like, and it's like this is sort of what his career became. It's like he's so good at so many things, and sometimes you wish he wouldn't do them all, uh, at least yeah. in one discrete setting. Um, but anyway. Uh, Okay.
0: okay well let's uh, let so we, we've we talked about this year's model and, and i will say oh, even good
1: rob i want to say one more thing about radio radio okay don't dig the song love the snl performance oh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> gotta love that um one of the only people to get banned, musical people to get banned from SNL. And that's like the first or second season.
2: I'm so enthusiastic that you brought this up because... Um, yeah,
1: please. Go for it.
2: At like a 25th anniversary SNL performance. I don't know if you knew about this or not. Oh, but, the Beastie Boys? Um, yeah, yeah. He interrupts the Beastie Boys. And they are his backing band. And they really good. Like, they pull off the garage thing. and Because the attractions are like monster players. And the Beastie Boys mm-hmm. are, you know are good in their own right, but to, to pull off what they were doing credibly, um, mm-hmm.
6: Mm-hmm.
2: I think would be really hard. And I, I thought they did a great job. And so I went and watched that cause he brings it up in the memoir that we're not allowed to talk about anymore. Um, <laughs>
1: those are your own rules. <laughs>
2: <laughs> we have a lot of rules, you know, we're list makers. We have to, you know, keep yes. in order or otherwise it's just going to go to hell.
0: Tell everyone the story of, of how it is. That, that he was banned. And my understanding is he perf- he was he was kicked off mid-episode, right? The, the decision- so
1: what what happens is it's agreed that the band is going to go and play less than zero. And so they, they start playing it, they get into it, and the song is very much about kind of the sociopolitical culture in England at the time. And so they're into it and he goes, stop, 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 stop. He starts waving his arms and he stops the band. He says... I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen, there's no reason to do this song here. Radio,
4: radio. One, two, three.
1: The story, I don't know how true it is, is that Lauren Michaels is in front of Elvis, just like double birds, just like flicking him off the whole yep. time, just like you're done. Yep. Because, uh, you know, big-time comedy show, but Lauren does not like when people deviate. He does not like it.
2: Uh, in his memoir, he, um, just to ratify what Micaiah is saying, in his memoir at that 25th anniversary special that I was just talking about where he plays Radio Radio with the BC Boys, um, I guess Bill Murray came up to him at some point and said, um, don't believe it when anyone tells you especially lauren that lauren was in on the joke because he wasn't and he was really really angry at you and he was standing behind the camera you know giving you the middle finger throughout that entire performance so
0: so that being said let's go ahead and jump in to makai's pick for best elvis costello album and your pick on your list armed forces what is what is the case for armed forces why is this the the greatest elvis costello album
2: for me um it has everything that this year's model has and the songs are better so the band is still good um they're they're you know still doing the um the attractions thing but costello is writing now from more of a political place um and less from this personal place. The songs are still personal. And as I was saying, you know, earlier that he's just kind of, he's he's more telescopic in his his purview. You know, he's thinking about the troubles. He's thinking about the national front. This is before Thatcher, but it's on the precipice of Thatcher. And it feels like it, you can feel that tension. And yet hilariously, the songs are so intense and they're so like crazy angry and like warning signals, but like the music is really upbeat and poppy. Um, and so that like is a bit disorienting, but it's so pleasurable. I mean, I think in the, in the stereo gum piece, you know, we, we talk about it like going down like poison sugar. I mean, it's like these confections that are just poisonous and, um, like I, I just think the writing is is superlative. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I just think I think it's a. a- better record i think it's like the truest distillation of costello operating on full cylinders the attractions operating on full cylinders um i think it's the most interesting album in terms of his thematic preoccupations um and and so yeah i mean like it's it's you know it's as good but i think it's better you were saying to me
3: you were saying to me earlier uh you know something that had not occurred to me uh while we were walking down the corridor, uh, that, uh, night rally, you know, is you know, is the night rally is the final song of the original version of, of this year's model is the first song on armed forces. Mm -hmm. He's, you know, he's moved his preoccupations beyond whether or not the girl gave him their, her number in the club. And he's now seeing something, he's perceiving something bigger at stake and, you know, he's using his, A acid wit and his incredible perception of people and events and things and now he's he said I've got I've got bigger fish to fry and yes I still will settle a few personal scores but by the time he gets to armed forces after night rally and it's I just don't know where to begin and it's and it's everything it's a country falling apart it's the precipice as you were saying of Thatcherism but also conservatism in America it's you know, uh, it's really quite a remarkable uh, commingling of uh, mm-hmm. uh, 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 of these of these impulses that feels more generous. I mean, I've been persuaded sort of by you, it's, you know, it, it doesn't have just the knee-jerk, you know, misogyny, and, you know, he has his moments, but it's not, you know, and it, it feels more thoughtful, it feels more considered, and it feels like, he's a grown up, you know, he's Mm -hmm. not just a, he's not just a special boy. He's a (laughs) grown man.
2: Well, and I think the other thing that we said, and I don't think this made it into the piece, but you know, it's like armed forces, he is sort of looking at, relationships through the lens of fascism whereas this year's model is just women are fascism <laughs> and i think this is an important distinction um uh, because so, he, you know
3: so that's a leap yeah, <laughs> yeah it's probably an important a vital leap yeah
0: but he he returns to that thought i mean so this might be and again for, for our listeners you may not realize this this year's model in armed forces come out 10 months apart from each other Mm-hmm. Essentially these these are these two albums are are released within the same year. Yeah. Not calendar year, but within the same same twelve month span. And if night rally at the end of this year's model is this kind of, like you said, the the breakaway from women are fascists. <laughs> If night rallies, the breakaway to that and thinking of something larger and thinking of, of what's happening and, and thinking of the, the growing conservative movement in England at the time and, and what Margaret Thatcher represents, and in so much of, of um, the dismantling of, of unions and so much of what's happening in the UK at the end of the 70s, beginning of the 80s, weirdly enough, the end of armed forces, which is this very, very politically charged album, has maybe the maybe the angriest relationship song sure. Elvis Costello has ever written.
3: Fair,
5: fair.
0: And and that's the conclusion of that album is is two little Hitlers, and and seeing on and the and UK so, version on the UK version, but I, but again, so Night Rally is the UK version of this year's model. Fair. Two little Hitlers is the UK version of of armed forces yeah and so it's it's I, I almost wonder if you swapped night rally into little well, hitler's exact same spots the last song on side b and swapped them with those two albums if those don't make more consistent albums or or, or does does kind of having that last album that like ling- lingers you into the next album uh-huh. make, make better sense but but it is interesting that like this very politically charged album still ends with a very angry relationship song. Yeah, but but two little Hitlers
1: language. is different than your Hitler.
0: Yeah, that's fair. Yeah,
1: I think that's the big difference. I think that's what they're saying, at least. He, he's uh,
0: at least recognizing her
3: own. Yeah, 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 he's got I, some
2: it. responsibility. Yes, no, he, he's one yeah.
3: of those little Yes, Hitlers. he is. Uh, yeah, he has the self-insight that he too is a murderous dictator of love. <laughs> uh, and that it doesn't just run one way, but indeed you need you need you need two to have a yeah. a, 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 a epic war. Um, yeah, that's interesting. I had not thought to twin those in my mind for all the years I've been listening to them. That's a really good insight.
1: And I always thought of Hitler too as not you know like two little anti Semites, but you know just two authoritarians. I think it could have been two little Stalins or two little El Duches. You know. Uh, but Hitler, I mean, that, that's just the one with the, the most stink on it.
3: Well, and Little Hitler, of course, is a Chaplin reference, you know. I For mean, great,
1: yeah, and he references Great Dictator.
3: And, yeah, and so he's, and he's, he's, he's got that on the brain, too. And then, of course, there's the Nick Lowe song, which I believe predates it, called Little Hitler, uh, hmm. which uh, may or may not be about Elvis, but it has such lines as, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, tell me, tell me truly, why did you leave me off the guest list? Uh, you know, so <laughs> we don't know. There's a mystery there, too. Are they going back and forth on that a little bit? But, uh, but I mean, no matter what kind of relationship it's characterizing, it's not one in a good state,
1: Rob. I don't want to out you, but you have an Oliver's Army kind of hot tip. Nice, don't start to
4: talk. I could talk all night, but man looks sleepy.
0: This year's so this year's model I buy at the beginning of 1996. The next Elvis Costello album I get is All This Useless Beauty when it comes out, and so and so again part, part of part of my love for for that album is also it was it was the second Elvis Costello album that I had, and so it it was played quite frequently. I was in college; I was in my in my early twenties. By the time I had bought Armed Forces. And again, Oliver's Army was it still to this day Elvis Costello's biggest UK hit in, yeah. in terms of radio success. And Oliver's Army, weirdly enough, I mean, Oliver's Army has some thematic things on it in, in terms of the style of music and kind of the throwback to 60s kind of that, that 60s pop sound. Yet Oliver's Army, the aging of his use of the N-word, uh, uh, Oliver's okay. Army, and so and so, I do think I'm I'm predisposed to liking that song less because of how jarring it was to hear that for the first time, and again, hearing hearing this album 22 years after it was released.
5: Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. And so that plays a big role. And, and again, having no having no personal relationship, I'm I'm a kid from you know kid who grew up in Florida, like. I, I have no relationship to what life was like in the UK, you know, for for a, a kid whose parents are Irish, growing growing up in sixties and seventies Northern England. Like, I have no relationship to to what that's like, and so the the ways in which the the political nature of it uh, are are so personal for him. Thinking about Oliver Cromwell, like it it, it didn't connect with me but is it, but as someone who grew up in the South, you know, him, him driving Edward in it, like that's, yeah, yeah. That, yeah that,
2: absolutely. that makes total sense.
0: And, yes. absolutely. And, and so, and so because of that, it was always a song that I was just like, Oh, I, I don't, I think yeah. accidents, accidents will happen Is the much more is the much better, much more successful version of this music the, the kind of the, the, the style of the music that we hear in Oliver's Army. I feel like accidents will happen is the far, far better version of that. And so it's surprising to me that Oliver's Army was the big UK hit. But again, uh, at the time in England, I'm sure that was incredibly personal for everyone who was hearing it.
2: And he'll also, and I'll let you go in a second, Tim, but I mean, he'll also say that um, a lot of the um, meaning was lost to the people who were listening to it. Um, that the lyrics sort of became obscured by just how poppy the song was. It was ABBA influenced. Steve Naive was, um, doing a deliberate ABBA thing, um, to that piano part. And so like they were singing it at like football games, um, you know, like, which, you know, is a very strange thing to do, um. But they had completely like decontextualized it from all of his really really complex lyrics because it's just this great sing-along. So I think if we had uh, Elvis Declan McManus uh, Costello sitting with us, he would also say that like a lot of the the meaning of his words just totally lost, uh, you know, um, any sort of. Um, significance for people listening to the song who made it a huge hit. And I think they were just so intoxicated by how great it sounded. So, but uh, Tim, you want to make a point too.
3: I think that it, so I I completely get like the needle skips off the record. And I'm just done when you hear that word. Um, I think it's unfortunate that that was the turn of phrase he landed on. I, I personally think it's a great song about uh, so many of the things that that were you know first on the brain with the rise of of Thatcherism and the history of kind of colonial enterprise, where it's like we're going to take these poor people who are on the dole and we're going to send them on some idiotic foreign adventure as we do in America. We're going to send them to India. We're going to send them to oh, you right. know the Falklands. We're going to send them wherever. I mean, and 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 the really really unfortunate invocation of the N word uh I think was a, f- and is I, I I I I can't defend it. It's one of those things where it's like I I I assume he'd want it back. Um but I think was a fairly common slur that was directed at uh English you know Irish born or Irish you know dissented people living in England. Um you know were that they were termed uh that that very ugly um slur. And so you know and he's his description of the political calculus of, you know, we'll send one more of these people away and that'll be one less person we have to deal with, you know, sort of mirrors a lot of the Republican views of the American welfare state where they go to prison, they go to prison. if they yeah He was trying. He got too smart for himself, as he commonly does, but he was trying in a visceral way to evoke. Uh, what he w- was described as systemic oppression that I think was a, a true systemic oppression. But I, I you know, it's hard, it's, it's hard to take. It's hard to hear it now and take. And, um, and-, and
0: and to your point, he wasn't alone in doing that. I mean, there, there are no. a number, Mackay and I were talking about this. Um, yeah, there's, and he's not the worst offender
1: no. of it in the 70s. I mean, there are people like Randy Newman, who do the N-word in the song Rednecks on Good Old Boys sure. to a satirical effect. It it could not come out now, but it works in a way uh, much better there because it's just more self-aware, you know, and it is making a a different point. And then there's John Lennon um, about you know women are the N word of the world, where he's like, okay, I see that you've made a big political point, and I don't know that it is just because you're in England you don't understand that the N word we don't just throw it around like that. Yeah, and I know you're tight with like Bobby Steele, so like I don't know if you need your friends in the Black Panther party no, to come. Yeah, I mean, you know, the
3: Stones drink. on Sweet Black Angel and Exile, which is all about Angela Davis, but they said, I don't right, says it like well, three times. I mean, it's just like, hey,
1: right, and even, even right, even Dylan on Hurricane, yes, right. Uh, I, I was in a bookstore and they were playing Hurricane, and it got to that part, and they just like turned the music off. I guess they just, like, forgot about that.
3: Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah,
1: but, again, like, a protest song that, like, is actually an effective protest song. Uh, so I guess we, like, lit a slide. Mm-hmm. And and then there's, like, Patty Smith, who probably is the worst offender on the album Easter, the rock and roll N-word, uh, where she's, like, Jackson Pollock. He was an N-word. Uh, Jimi Hendrix, he was It's just, like, this is getting... <laughs> very far away from whatever you think you're doing That that was uh yeah i, I don't know if in the 70s like we're gonna take this thing this taboo and we're gonna flip it on its head and it's just like i hear that but it's not for white artists to do so sit it out you're all you're all poets and you're all musical geniuses but this is not your fight
3: yeah and it's funny i mean like we were' just talking about this in the context of Costello because you were visiting some, or jogging some of his, and uh, and there, there are other instances, uh, you know, where he uses really heightened, really visceral, you know, not always language pursuant to race, but, you know, you feel that he's defending it, I mean, you were saying this to me, like, on the grounds so of, like, I'm like Lenny Bruce, you know, and it's like, this just right. like, you know, like, I'm just a guy who's transgressing, because transgressing is what real liberal people do, and it's like, Right, and that's something that's fallen away, and I'm glad it's gone.
1: Yeah, like on you know, Sunday, um, Sunday Best too. Right, it says blame it all on the darkies. Right, yeah, exactly. And it's just like, yeah, but if you're if you're not like tuning into the song, right. reading along, getting the vibe, also, yep. and, and what what really makes it worse, despite him playing rock against racism, what happens in Ohio, mm-hmm. right? The Ray Charles. Uh, I mean, we don't have to get into it, but he does uh, talk about James. He does use the N-word in reference to James Brown and Ray Charles gets smacked off his bar stool. And then his career almost ends because of his use of the N-word, not in the music, but in a drunken stupor, I guess. So yeah. that, that doesn't make it any easier to yeah. go back and be like, no, he's being, he's just being too smart for his own good. Like by the time he lets it slip when he's drunk, you're like,
6: mm, yeah, hard I, to
1: defend I, this guy I really enjoy. Even though, you know, now 2013, he's playing with the roots.
3: Now, I mean, I'll, I'll go ahead and act as Elizabeth's hype man. And she wrote a really, really interesting article for The Ringer uh, that came out at, at maybe a year and a half ago about Get Happy's 40th anniversary where she gets in depth on the Columbus incident mm. and kind of what that implicates and what that meant. And, and, um, I thought it was a really, really inspired piece of journalism that I recommend you check out at the ringer. <laughs> <Elizabeth Nelson. laughs> dot com. Like I have, no, it's a, it's a hard,
2: it's, it, some of
3: the stuff's hard to metabolize, you know? Mm. I don't oh,
2: know. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, like, you know, he, he does seem to have a real like tone deafness around his yeah. own idea of himself being clever. I mean, there's another anecdote in the book about him having a Confederate flag on his notebook, like a sticker of a Confederate flag on his notebook. And it's just mm-hmm. like, you know, I, I mean, maybe he's British and he doesn't get the significance of that and how disorienting and jarring it is to see that, you know.
3: What was the thing you said, like his joke at the top of the Rock against
2: Racism concert. Oh yeah, he he made a joke apparently when he and the band came out at Rock Against Racism, which he said was something like, you know, welcome to the Black and White Minstrel Show. And I guess there was a television program in England at the time called the Black and White Minstrel Show that was, you know, more or less part of the scenery if you had a television and you live in the UK. But in the context of this very large Rock Against Racism con concert where not everybody is from Britain uh and you know doesn't watch really old timey television. Uh, um, you know, right. to to lead with that seems most, like a weird choice. The most generous
3: interpretation is he's too, he 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 gives himself too much credit and he takes too much too many liberties with the stuff. And I assume he's very much convicted that he is not, and I believe he is not a, a person who is biased by those kinds of prejudices, but it's one of those things where you look back and like yeah I wish none of that was there you know I mean I, I it would be better if he had and um, and he, he it was he was maybe being reckless or maybe he was you know being intentionally provocative to attract attention probably a combination of both there was
4: a check on Charlie
3: it i i totally like i if for somebody if somebody's enjoyment of oliver's army stops at that line i think it's entirely fair
1: yeah i mean i i personally dig the song because like y'all were saying like there is a lot of stuff in there about uh 1970s england that i just i've just find interesting about the united yeah. front and mm-hmm. the emergence of thatcherism and conservatism in england i just find it interesting uh I, I i dig the ironic kind of use of abba and the ronettes to yeah, kind of yeah. talk about this i mean he even does like the ronnie specter be my baby uh-ohs uh, at the end
5: yeah, yeah, you know, yeah which
1: is like a really silly way to end a song about you know the the military taking young poor men and then making them go to war under the pretense that it's professionalism or something you know yeah. um and so yeah. i find that all very interesting and I mean, and the last thing i'll say about this you know the term is you know the white n-word in right. particular. Which is also a term that was used to describe Elvis Presley uh, when when he first came to prominence. that He was called the white N word because he sang like a black person. Whenever he was on radio shows, the first question they would ask him, "Emphasis, which high school did you go to?" Oh, so the people yeah. knew right. if he went to a white or black school, right. Right. and right. so that's the way that he was often referred to. Sure. And he's always kind of latched onto the Elvis thing. You know, his first album coming out the year Elvis died, so. I don't, I don't, I don't know that he knows that, but you know, uh, Rob's other thing about Oliver's army that he didn't like is that he says it's too much like Little Shop of Horrors. Oh. That's why I was outing you.
4: Oh. He,
5: <laughs>
2: Dig that. I can totally understand that if you really just need to have your history lessons kind of, you know, spoon fed to you with you know vinegar and salt, then that's your your thing. And that and, and if you get transported out of armed forces, then you can feel free to at me on Twitter. But she'll um, take hers with killer hooks. Yeah, I, I like the hooks. I like yeah. I like Poppy's ability. So yeah, as I say, maybe me, we're weird. I don't know. I mean, you
3: know, and that to me, that's that's dig me out. That's Later Kenny. That to me, that's mm-hmm. you know, you know, definitely the Clash. I think that yeah. I mean, I think there's something that is, and or Randy Newman to you know to your point. I mean, I I think that there is something remarkably subversive about being able to wed really compelling, even like. You know, household name-worthy melodies to these ideas that are not, you know, necessarily in the mainstream ideas. So that I, I think that yeah, you know, that's one of those things that hits us both where we live. So, yeah. and our forces yeah. is really good at that. Agreed. Yeah, it's it's the Daily Show versus the Nightly News. You
0: know, it, it is it is it is the 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 more piercing truth can be said in jest. Yes. Then can be delivered as than can be delivered as as fact. Mm-hmm. and so there's there's something um Elvis Costello would never get away with making armed forces as political as it is were it not for how great these songs are yes. yeah that, I think that, that that's that's really what it is the song the songs really are the vehicle that allows him to go to this place that he he really doesn't spend a lot of time in after this in his career he doesn't he, he doesn't spend much time this political
5: yeah. <laughs>
0: in anywhere else, and it, it, or at least not uh, up until recently when it's become more in vogue to do so, but certainly not in the albums that follow after this.
1: He dips his toes in there. You know, Tramp the Dirt Down and mm-hmm. and Spike is, is a great anti-Thatcher song, but he never again flirts with the idea of having a song called Emotional, or an album called Emotional Fascism ever again, for sure. But I also think that's age. You know, he's A young man, you know, I think he, you know, by the time he's older, he's not, doesn't feel as emboldened to do something like that. And when, by the time the clash is out of the picture, when he's no longer competing with the clash after 82, I think he becomes a less of an important thing, uh, potentially.
0: Well let me ask you about this there's there is a a very well publicized and uh, when we for our listeners when you hear this episode you can go to our website you one.com and we will have a direct link to the stereo gum article that uh, that our guests have have written so you can see how they appraise your favorite Elvis Costello album So let me ask you both this what are your personal favorites? Not well, not the best, not the greatest. Your oh, five favorite. Then yeah, not the favorite.
1: five from the not the five from the stair gum list. We can read that.
2: Damn. Well, they I mean they do sort of align. Um yeah. because um we both love armed forces, we both love this year's model, we both love get happy, we both love trust. Trust was our fifth song, our fifth record, and then the one that we threw in that was a little bit um maybe surprising to some people, was King of America. Mm. Um, which, again, you know, when thinking about, like, which of his genre experimentations are the most effective, we felt like that was the one it's a great record. Um, so that one definitely is, like... I think that that top five is, is certainly, like, representative of the things that we like about Costello and what he does. I mean, you know, I, I guess if, you know, you wanted to, like really put the screws to us and be like, well, no, you have to pick a favorite that's outside of the top five. I mean, there's so many great ones to pick from. Um, You know, I guess as a sentimental favorite, I could pick the Juliet Letters because that was the first record that I purchased. And I actually think that it's a really, really good record. It's very ambitious working with a string quartet like that. And um, I think that he actually has a couple of like legitimately great songs on that record. So, you know... to, to, like, stray away from being boring, I'll I'll defend Juliet letters um, as one of my personal favorites. You know, uh, this is interesting. Actually, I'll go King of America, this year's model, Trust, Get Happy, and Armed Forces. That would be the way that I would probably rank those five, because, again, I'm not as... he. I love the way that this year's model sounds, but I, I don't love the sentiment. Whereas, like, I, I actually really love the craziness of Get Happy so, so much. So, like, that might be my personal second favorite. But, um, Timothy, your top five. I, I think you got them right. You know,
3: I, so the, the outlier is always Imperial Bedroom, you know. And Imperial Bedroom is an incredibly impressive record to me. Um, and, I, and, and one that we listen to all the time and one we admire and but our personal prejudice and I think I can speak for you Elizabeth mm-hmm. is that you know it's like the Jeff Emmerich production and you know we love the Beatles and we love Jeff Emmerich and it's an incredible you know sort of historic pairing but he's never done as much for me as just Nick Lowe I never yeah. felt like he had a better producer than Nick Lowe mm-hmm. um, and I always I think the Beatles-esque affectations and all this stuff it's a great great record but to me and they're a great and Man out of times is, is, is remarkable and they're remarkable sonic experience uh, experiments on there but a lot of time the production takes me out of the record um and um and so that's always kind of been outside of our top five but I know it's like a lot of people like James Toth is like yeah. that's like number one and number two and yeah like we have like really dear friends who are huge Costello fans who are just like you know would literally put us in prison you know for this oversight so that's um but no, I, I stand but I stand by that top five.
2: Yeah, and I, I threw in Juliet Letters just because yeah,
3: it'd be weird. Yeah, well sure because <laughs> because you can play it. That's you know, I mean you can actually, you know, play. <laughs> um but no. I think Juliet Letters is wonderful. I think he's really evocative. I think it's really, you know, extraordinary that a person who had through sweat equity and hard work created a situation where he could make any record he wanted and it would be released that's the record he chose how cool
1: so my five really quick well my my five is actually tied with my six and seven so i'll say that five is this year's model but it could also be my aim is true or it could be get happy Mm -hmm. like it 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 fluctuates but my four is pretty locked um so my fourth be would be imperial bedroom Mm -hmm. uh I mean, just, like, 15 great songs, 15, like, very different songs, uh, a lot of them, and I just dig it. Um, there's a lot of deep cuts that I, just, I love, like Little Fool or, you know, great. Well great. It's, yeah, it's, 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 yeah, it's wonderful. And so, um, number three for me would be Trust. Um, one day I want to be brave enough and call it, like, number one. We'll see how, how I feel over time. Uh, number two, Blood and Chocolate.
5: Okay. Wow okay nice because here,
1: here's the thing i've been going through listening to the early elvis costello ones is his guitar is not in the mix a lot it, it's kind of buried by the booming rhythms of like the the drums and bass and blood and chocolate is very much an elvis costello on guitar album yeah um, and i think it's very much informed by king of america because he's playing the acoustic a lot too yeah. so he has the attractions back but he's not afraid to like lead it while just strumming along with acoustic while also Having them do the attractions thing, and I, I just love it. I I love bunch Chocolate very very much. Um, and then so uh, where's that lady? That's number two. And then so number one would be armed forces.
0: Yeah, and then and then not not surprisingly, we have we have a whole lot of overlap between our, our all of our lists. My number five would be get happy. Number four is aim minus true. Uh, number three is trust. Number two is armed forces. Number one is this year's model while also recognizing, as we've been talking about this tonight, I think if we're going to say greatest, I think I'm going to join all of you in saying Armed Forces' better album in terms of what is, what is a greater representation of Elvis Costello and the attractions. And so that being said, we, we always want to conclude our time with our guests because this whole podcast is about great albums that we have forgotten. What are your favorite albums? What are what are what are five or ten of your favorite albums that you that you love and and, and just have a special place for you, uh, or, or a great album that 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 we or our listeners need to go check out?
3: We we, we thought we were doing the ten best of all time. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's but, fine. And, yeah, but, and and but uh, that was an interesting experiment, and obviously, you know, just you know. Uh, a bloodletting emotionally but one that we came up with on that list which is not commonly on list but which we both felt was was uh was worthy of that was you know the one i'm talking about
2: i know a couple that you're talking about but why don't you go ahead and reveal is
1: this number yeah, 17
2: north north <laughs> no i, I, no.
3: No, I we're both, you know no we both yeah. was uh, independently landed on amy rigby's diary of a mod housewife uh, oh, wow. I think is we both think is, and you know, Fourville, Amy and Elizabeth are friends, but they were she was a big fan before they were friends. And um I think it's just like, you know, like everything, all of the very considerable power of Exile and Guyville and you know um you know the Joni Mitchell's greatest run kind of just grafted onto the best like power pop band ever. And, and it's just an incredibly moving portrait of a young mother and, you know, making her way in the city and just trying to figure out. And, um, so that, that was one that landed on our, you know, actual top 10 alongside Revolver and, you know, Steveners or whatever, but, um, what was the one you were thinking of?
2: Oh, well, I mean, I was actually just thinking of, um, the Rolling Stone list and how we actually went with, um. Sly Stones, there's a riot going on uh, for yes. one of our top faves because they went with in the 2020 list. Um, they went with Marvin Gaye's "What's Going On," and we frankly think, and I, I can speak for you, you know, that's fine. Marvin Gaye is great and everything, but the better record is the response album, which is "There's a Riot Going On," um, which I think made it to the list for sure. But it was way oh yeah, like been. that, that should have been number. one.
3: There's a riot going on. It's like like when we're recording. You know, it was like, you know, well, what do you like? And she's like, there's a riot going on. I was like, you want to get married? Or, <laughs> you know, like, that was like, that's like so a weird thing that like, that record's so goddamn good. Yeah, um,
1: That's I- one that I have, I have it framed on the wall. I have it on the shelf ready to be played. I have a CD in, in the car ready to go. You know, it's like I completely infatuated with that album as well. Oh, it's, so. it's
2: the best. It, I think yeah. it might be the best rock record. Um,
1: so um hey ready to go
2: ready to go you gotta have you have to have it at the ready you have to have multiple formats just,
1: just the best album cover too i mean yeah
2: i mean it's it's so great um what? but but uh let's let's go through what the rest else of we have? list. we had um chuck berry oh uh,
3: great 28 great
2: 28 sure nice. um uh carol king's tapestry yeah Nice. Completely infatuated with for a long, long time. And I, I just uh, wrote a piece about that. So I've been thinking about her a lot and her Rock Hall um, nomination that's coming up. And I do hope that she gets to go in as a performer. Yes. Um, what am I forgetting? So Double got-
3: nickels on the dime. Double nickels
2: on the dime. Minutemen.
3: Wow. Uh, 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 cool, cool pick, cool pick.
2: Oh, uh, London Calling.
3: Yeah, that was on there. Did we, have a, did
2: we like write it down? I wrote it down, it down somewhere. And but, we talked
3: about Love and Theft for Dylan. Oh, yes,
2: Love and Theft. That was one. Because we wanted to have a Dylan. Wow. We didn't want to just go with the obvious. And we were actually trying to go by decade, I guess, was our little thought
6: experiment.
1: Oh, I love doing it like that. I love that idea. So, in,
2: so we had
6: Chuck Berry. The 50s,
1: 60s. Then, was there anyone from, like, the 2010s?
3: Forever Sounds by Wussy. Forever Sounds by Wussy. Uh, 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 Barnett. Life. Oh, that uh, Courtney Barnett sometimes record. Sometimes I sit
2: and think, and sometimes I just think. That's, no, that
1: Courtney Barnett album.
2: Yeah, that's like,
3: yeah, that that that's aspirational.
0: For, for our listeners, um, y- y- you you both have have written this piece, and and uh, Elizabeth, you you are a uh, it sounds like a very busy writer, continuing continuing to work. But but you both are also in a band together.
2: Yes. The paranoid style. The paranoid style. It's named after it. Talk about incredibly old things—a uh, Goldwater-era essay by Richard Hofstadter called *The Paranoid Style in American Politics*, which, if you haven't read, I encourage you to read. It's, it, uh, it, it, you know, it's, it, it was prescient uh, when it came out, and it, it resonates. I mean, through our current political moment, so. Um, so, yes, we are in the Paranoid Style together. Well, we're on the Barn on Records label, uh, so you can check us out at their website. But um, we're on Spotify, um, and there's a band camp presence. Um, yeah, I mean, like, you, you just basically type in the Paranoid Style, go past the Bad Religion song that came out in <laughs> 2017 that stole our entire presence or premise (laughs) and then um, you'll land on our records. Um, We put out a great record um, if you like rock and roll and history and, and pop songs about <laughs> rock and roll and history, there's a like killer song about rolling. Alan Greenspan that will knock your socks off. It was called the Goddamn Impossible Way of Life. It was named after what um Robertson says in The Last Waltz. So it's got a lot of rich rock and roll history lore and there's a song about the children getting killed at the Who concert that's really peppy that'll just... I mean, you know, like... The, I, the
1: like, armed forces I, conversation makes a whole a whole lot more sense now
2: yeah i mean i i really buried the lead here <laughs> <laughs> i mean this is what we do like he wrote the template so yeah okay there's a song called an endless cycle of meaningless behavior which is about alan greenspan and it is a hot track
3: it is one of the best songs <laughs> about one of the fed chairmen
2: yeah, I mean, my
3: know, you never like
2: Federal Reserve Chairman. I mean... <laughs> but it also it, it's it's actually it's a killer no, really, track, really so i are like really it. proud
0: of it. So, yeah. do you like rock songs about economic theory? This is for you.
3: Exactly.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and then like like when you get that like statistical breakdown of where people check out, like <laughs> right? like that exact moment where it's like you lost like ninety percent of your listeners. <laughs>
6: Up. Late night hearings, early morning confusion, you just haven't earned it yet Wrenches and spanners, transmissions from the neighbors, an endless cycle of meaningless behavior The dream of Lorga is dead and gone, you could fill my mind, but I haven't got the time I got a feeling, I got a feeling, a statue, The 13th chairman of the Federal Reserve appointed by Reagan in 87 Alan Greenspan who they came to call easy money
0: well, hey, we don't want to take any more of your time. This, this has been incredible. Thank you so much for staying with us and for giving us two and a half hours of your time. Um,
2: us and our you know weird sort of like dialogue that we have to have between us so like it's I know it's probably hard when you have like two people you know you're usually doing this with one person so it was nice of you to let us both do it because oh no
0: it was great. It was great. It, it it made it it made it even better, especially the the married couple energy of the two <laughs> who clearly do this these lists because essentially it made for two couples on 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 the show like like the the people who you know uh, for Makai and I as the as the couple who have been friends for so long and this is what we do we do nothing but list comparison and then nice. and then talking to a married couple who's doing the same thing. Yep. It worked great. So we really appreciate it. So, tim and Elizabeth, it was so good to meet you, bro. Thank you, Thank you, you so much it for doing this.
6: Ryan handed out Atlas Shrug to anyone with a pair of hands. Divided societies and makers and takers, mooters and looters, supercomputers and paranoid bands. All the right parts in all the right places. An endless cycle of meaningless behavior. An endless cycle cascading towards the pit. No problem comes along, you must whip it. And then the cycle, and then the cycle, I got a feeling. I got a
0: feeling. Well, Micaiah, at least we are seemingly going back and forth in terms of whose pick for best album when we have differed is, is going forward. And yes. And I am. I am glad, considering all that we talked about with Tim and Elizabeth, I'm glad that we are going with armed forces. Why is that? Because Elizabeth is right. And there is something about the energy. And again, all of that energy, all of that uh, ferocity that we hear on this year's model is is angry there's there's an angry energy to it and the anger is either a frustration for not having a relationship with women or not having women or a frustration directed at women and as someone who first encountered that album and discovered that album in the mid-90s when i was a teenager there is an element to that that I don't think I ever, ever really thought about until hearing Elizabeth talk about it in such a clear way that so much of what I love about this year's model is in an element that is probably better fitting of a teenage boy. Mm -hmm. And so if we're talking about a great album or a greatest album, Part of my belief is a greatest album has to be accessible. And so this year's model may be the best Elvis Costello album to introduce to a 16-year-old boy. Mm -hmm. I don't know that that makes it his greatest album.
1: I mean, that might be like an irresponsible decision uh, to some degree, even, based on our
0: conversation. I, I don't know about that. Yeah, we can delete that then. Um, so Armed Forces has not the same amount of energy, but has a whole lot of energy. This band playing at the height of their talents, Uh, Nick Lowe's incredible production, great songs and great songwriting. And it may be the only time in Elvis Costello's career that he really tackles a political issue or, or or politics in general with the same level of cleverness that he brings to almost everything else that he does. It is not a perfect album. There, there, are some, there, there are some parts on it where his cleverness gets him into trouble, just like we talked about in Oliver's Army. But I think if you take the whole of the album – armed forces is worthy of being put on our list as our representation of Elvis Costello in the, in the attractions. Right. Because as much as I love, my aim is true. It would be, I can't imagine us putting a Elvis Costello album on here. That is not Elvis Costello in the attractions. Right. That, that if we're going to have a representation on this list, I want it to be an album with this band.
1: Agreed. And and so I, I'm glad that our conclusion was Armed Forces is number one as the, the best representative for Elvis Costello, Armed Forces just gets down to, I think, what so many people who love Elvis Costello just has the most of what is that we love about him, which is those those great melodies. The political consciousness, but also still talking about, you know, romance but in ways that are also informed by, by politics and um, with, a, with a lot of bite on them. So, yeah, I, I, I'm very pleased with how the conversation turned out. And, and I love those guests. I, yeah, would love to have them back to talk about pretty much anything.
0: So we want to encourage you, our listeners, um, to check out the Paranoid Style So, listener, what about you? Are you an Elvis Costello fan? If you are, let us know. Did we get it right? Did we get it wrong? Do you agree or disagree? Did we not even mention in our top five your favorite Elvis Costello album? Is there something from his recent work that we should have mentioned that we did not? Let us know. You can reach out to us on Twitter at YouForgotOnePod, on Instagram at YouForgotOne, and, of course, our website, 1.com. Micaiah, before we end, is there anything that you want to say as you take your victory lap?
1: Next week is a big one. All right. Um, I think a lot of people are going to be happy to hear this one. Uh, we're going to have uh, Brad Efford from the RS500 blog. Blog uh, seems to not capture all of what it is uh, because it's an ambitious project. But we're going to have Brad Efford with us and we're going to talk about Radiohead's OK Computer.
0: That's right. So we'll see you next week as we talk about the late 90s, the end of the world, and how computers are here to kill us.
1: Oh, Lord.